Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive industry and its supporting ecosystem and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to help make the world run better or drive better, as the case may be, you're in the right place because this is where the game changers are. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I found a quote from a PwC blog article from 2017, but it seems to still ring true today. So listen up. Once defined primarily by a vast lunchbox workforce, lunchbox workforce, let that sink in, the auto sector is now competing for talent in Silicon Valley and beyond. Reconceiving the car as a highly personalized and powerful digital device calls for educating, developing, and rewarding young engineers who think differently. End of quote. That's just a snippet of what I found. So let's talk about this a little more before I introduce you to my three special guests. Fortune has a 100 best places to work list. And last year in 2018, we looked at the list and it did not have even one traditional automaker or automotive supplier. But many tech and Silicon Valley-based companies were high, highly ranked on this list of 100. Are you surprised? Well, perhaps you shouldn't be. With the growing integration of automotive and tech industries, and we know that Detroit and other hubs of automotive innovation are starting to merge with tech, of course, automotive needs to get competitive to attract and retain qualified talent. But who is that talent? What kinds of mindset do they have? What is their education? What are their internships? Where are they? How can automotive compete? And that's what we're talking about today. Officially, this topic is automotive shifting. Aha! Driving the search for new talent and organization culture. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome again. Let me tell you who my three panelists are, and then I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves. So first up in just a moment, you'll be hearing from Kristen Chichek. And if you want to spell her last name and look her up, it's D-Z-I-C-Z-E-K. She schooled me well in how to pronounce it. She's at C-A-R, CAR. She'll tell you what that is. Ellen Sasson, a returning panelist from SAP, and Carrie Brown, also at SAP. We haven't spoken to Carrie in a couple of years. So, Christian Chichek, please introduce yourself. Tell us what you do and what CAR is, please. Welcome. Thank you. Um, so, Christian Chichek, I'm the Vice President of the Center for Automotive Research. We're a nonprofit think tank that thinks about the global automotive industry and all of the trends that are affecting it. And my particular focus is on, uh, it's called industry, labor, and economics, um, but it's basically everything that has to do with money um, and people and product. So uh, we look at um, talent issues, we look at trade, we look at um, investment and um, all sorts of things that are are related and, you know, some of the, that ties back into these innovation areas. So I've got a study going on right now that we're looking at where are the global hotspots for automotive innovation and automated driving, for example. So Very that's interesting. I, that's who I am. <laughs> Kristen, just let me ask you, pick your brain here for a second. Are you seeing an influx of more women into automotive uh, innovation, design, leadership, investment? Are you seeing that on the coming out of the big, strong STEM movement that's been happening around the world for the past few years? 
There seem to be a lot more women. I mean, there have always been some, um, mm-hmm. but, you know, the auto industry is, we're, we're very underrepresented in the auto industry, and there are many meetings I go to where I am the only woman still, um, but it does seem to be picking up quite a bit. Um, you know, our event that we have up in Traverse City is one of the things we, we make it very purposeful to try to get uh, women on the stage and women in the seats. And uh, we're, we're trying to move the needle on that as, as well. And I think we've been pretty successful over the last couple of years of, of bringing more women into that event. Well, hopefully shows like this will help as well. Thank you, Kristen. Pleasure to have you on board. Ellen Sasson, welcome back. You're on a couple times a year on this series, and you're one of the women I know who has been in automotive for a long, long time. I didn't say forever, Ellen. Ellen, please update us on what your role is and what have you been up to. Thanks, Bonnie. So, Ellen Sasson, I was born and raised in Detroit, and I think that's important because it, it definitely colored my perspective on this industry. For many years, I sold into the industry selling enterprise software. In the last 18 months, I've had the pre- privilege and pleasure of, of being kind of outside of the sales role and focused on the industry at large and what's SAP's role in that. And I've been fortunate to go to the events some of which Kristen mentioned, Car MBS, a lot of other events, and just kind of look at this industry differently than I ever have before. And so that's some of what I hope to share today. I, I, I'm excited with the role I have and the point of view I've developed over the last 18 months. Thank you very much, and I wish our listeners could see your new picture looking off into the future. It's very dramatic, Helen. Thank you very much. Thank you. You can explain that later. Carrie Brown at SAP, it's been a while. So happy to have you back, and you're a specialist in what we're talking about today, the war for talent between Detroit, meaning any automotive hub, any any development center for automotive, and Silicon Valley, meaning any high-tech place. So, Carrie, please reintroduce yourself to us, and what have you been up to? Bonnie, nice to speak with you. My role at SAP is the Vice President of Workforce Adoption, but if I distill that down, really my litmus test when I look at technology is how do people's jobs change. And so my job is to work with our customers across North America to determine how people's jobs will change as they introduce more technology or innovation or transformation into their business and how to make their people successful at doing their jobs. So I do that across all industries and specifically uh, this one is one I'm going to be participating, actually, in the event that both Ellen and, and Kristen mentioned, and I'm excited to be a part of that as well. Well, thank you. We're very happy to have you back. It's been a couple of years since we've spoken, hasn't it? Much Carrie? too long. Much too long. Thank we are you. We're to chat again. There you go. Happy to have you on board. Let's go now to, I always ask my guests, if you're new to listening to Game Changers Radio, I always ask my guests in advance to send me a quote that inspires them, but that has nothing specifically or literally to do with the topic, and then tell us how they related to the topic. So, Kristen, do you check it, car, may I say it, car or C-A-R? How do you, how do I say it, Kristen? Car. 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 Car sent us a quote from, we love movie quotes and we love song quotes, and she has sent us a quote from Bob Dylan's lyrics, and the song is Gotta Serve Somebody. It was by Bob Dylan from his 1979 studio album, Slow Train Coming. It won the 1979 Grammy for Best Rock Vocal Performance by a Male for this, and it was recorded at the Muscle Shoals Sound Studio in Sheffield, Alabama. I'll leave it alone. And here is the quote. You may be a businessman or some high-degree thief. They may call you doctor or they may call you chief. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve 
Somebody. Kristen, this is the first time I think we've had a Bob Dylan quote on the show. So tell me, how does this relate to our topic on talent, the talent war between Silicon Valley and Detroit or vice versa? Well, you know, Bob, uh, his song is about you have to either serve the, the devil or the Lord. Um, and it's, I'm not going quite that literal, <laughs> but I think there's been a real, a real change. Um, you know, I did a survey of automotive, automotive employers in 2008, which is just a really brilliant time to be out in the field talking about the future hiring in the industry as they're about to go bankrupt. Um, but mm-hmm. I did it anyway because that's when funding <laughs> came together for doing the work. Um, and, you know, we saw companies that were really struggling. I mean, they've been um, employers of choice. I mean, the auto industry in, in this region of the country here in Michigan um, had, you know, been able to, you know, get all the top talent out of engineering schools and management schools because they paid well, offered long-term security and, you know, they were a very attractive employer. But when they were moving into these areas where they needed more computer programmers and IT talent and, and folks like Silicon Valley has, um, they were finding that they, these people were hard to get at any price, especially in companies that had declining financial uh, prospects. And they said, well, we're going to have to change some stuff. We're going to have to see what these people want um, to to come work for us. And it's not just money. They want to work maybe weird hours. Maybe Mm -hmm. they want to bring their dog to work. Maybe they don't want to (laughs) fit our dress code. Um, You know, there, there were a whole bunch of things that had to change. And I think it, you know, really started rooting before 2008, obviously, but, um, yeah, I remember back when I worked at General Motors when I was in high school, um, and they had just bought EDS, um, a computer uh, division, mm-hmm. and that was Ross Perot's company. And it came with, um, you could not wear a brown suit if you worked for EDS. You had to wear a what? suit every day, blue, blue or black, but not brown. What? Um, and so the people who had been working in IT and computers at General Motors at that time, back in the 80s, um, became EDS employees, and they had to change how they dressed in order to work for EDS as they got assigned to that division. So, you know, it really changed things around, and it made the employee that they're going after that they, you know, have to have to guarantee their future um, be more of the change factor. Like, they, they had to um, change their culture in order to be a place where folks like that wanted to work. And that's why I looked at, I, I've got more reasons to talk about Bob Dylan but, and, okay. and the servant leadership model, um, but that was one of the things was that really flipped it on its head that, you know, the people who were coming into this industry and that the industry needed to have started calling more of the shots about how the work was going to be organized and how the culture was going to be changed. Interesting. I ran into the same exact thing working for a major, major bank on Wall Street in in the marketing area for global cash management many years ago, Kristen. And uh, they took me aside and they said they didn't like the way I dressed. It's probably because I wasn't wearing $5,000 suits to work like some of the female executives were in my area. And they told me I couldn't have a a sports jacket with a a sparkle on the collar and I couldn't wear a silk scarf in my hair. had to be around my neck. And they sent me to to HR to 
learn how to dress for success? Seriously? And the man who had to deliver this news to me, my boss, was a guy who couldn't even keep his shirt tucked in. He looked like a slob by 3 o'clock every afternoon. And he was telling me that, that I didn't, I wasn't fitting the mold. It's a, the, the bank's name has changed, but it was a major, major bank. And it starts with a C and it's got five letters and you all know what it was. And I went home in shock there and I was the first one in at 7.15 every morning and one of the last ones out. I was doing the work of two people, doing so much creative marketing for them, running events thousands of miles away. And they told me they didn't like my jacket, my, my scarf. It was, it was actually talking about culture. I'm sorry, you just brought back such fun memories. Thank you. I'm going to have to stop well, that or we're going to... If you think about it, though, I mean, GM, and I hate to keep picking on them, but you know, they had, when Mary Barra took over, um, she changed their dress code. They had a 10-page dress code. I heard and that. It's now, two, it's now two words, dressed I, appropriately. I heard I heard about that. Somebody quoted Mary Barra on a show well, last year, I think. Ella might have been on that show. Yep. And we talked about but that change of culture. That's a long way from no brown suits. <laughs> there you go. Oh, my goodness gracious. Thank you. This is too too interesting and too much fun. Ellen Sasson sent us a quote from Zig Ziglar, whose real name was Hillary, with a one L, Hillary Hinton Zigziller, 1926 to 2012, American author, salesman, motivational speaker. And I don't know if anybody knows, but he was born in Coffee County in southeastern Alabama, and he was the 10th of 12 children. And he went into the business of, uh, he created with Dick Gardner and Hal Krauss, the, they established American Sales Masters, and I didn't know, Ellen, that they were, he became a major sales trainer for Mary Kay Cosmetics. I had no clue about that. Ziegler wrote over 30 books. His first one, See You at the Top, was rejected 39 times before it was finally published in 1975, and it's still in print today. Here's the quote Ellen has selected from the many, many quotable moments and bon mot of Zig Ziegler. You can get everything in life you want if you will just help enough people get what they want. Ellen, talk to me. Great quote. All right. So first of all, I, I just in the context of women on the show, women in automotive, I think what Zig said, women know that instinctively all the time. I feel like we are, because also I could go off about Zig Ziglar because I think he's truly brilliant and I only discovered him in the last 12 months. But one thing he did say, because I've listened to his sales motivational pitches, and he hates the word pitches, by the way, I shouldn't have said that, but the word selling, and I believe in Swedish, is selja, and that means serve. So it's similar to Kristen's quote. Wow. Um, the idea of serving somebody is ultimately going to serve you, right? That's, and and I, I, I just see the quote that Zig, it's, he's very famous for that quote, but that's sales, that's life, right? Make other people happy, and you're going to make yourself happy. And and so I he's brilliant on so many levels, and I did not know he was Mary Kay's lead, you know, trainer. Trainer, it makes sense, right? And she created a, a workforce of women out there selling that had never existed before. So I, I anyway, it's a wonderful quote. I don't think it's that different from the Bob Dylan quote, actually, about you're going to serve somebody. 
but it's from another superstar. Very, very interesting. You know what? It's it's always intriguing to me. I'm saying this to all three of my panelists, Kristen and Ellen and Carrie, that on some shows, the quotes, even though you don't all get together in the back, oh, I'll pick this quote and I'll pick that quote. It's it's not done as a group think. It's done as each person sends me their own favorite or inspirational quote for the show that we do get a lot of overlap, Ellen. It must be this this concept of what we're trying to accomplish for the, the goal of a particular topic. So thank you for that. Love the quote. And I, I really enjoyed reading up again about Zig Ziglar. He had quite an interesting history. I don't know if you know, but he fell down. He had a, a fall downstairs in 2007 that caused short-term memory problems. And he still continued to participate in motivational seminars until three years later when he finally retired, which was two years before he passed away. So quite a guy, quite a guy. Carrie Brown's up next. And Carrie has sent us a quote from Alvin Toffler. 1928 to 2016, American writer, futurist, and businessman whose works discussed modern technologies. He was an associate editor of Fortune magazine. If the listening audience thinks, Toffler, Toffler, where do I know that name? His first major book about the future was called Future Shock. That's the hook to Alvin Toffler. It became a worldwide bestseller, and so far it sold a mere $6 million copies. I think he also coined the phrase information overload, meaning technology's impact on us. So here's the quote Carrie selected. The illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. Carrie, great quote. Talk to me, please. I think it's all about staying curious and, and looking forward to see what do I need to know next. And whether it's the automotive industry or any other industry, we're all in a lifelong learning journey, and the privilege or the opportunity to rest on our laurels is gone. And so really it's a matter of saying, okay, what can I do to lean in, lean forward, and learn? Because the things that I knew last week, last year, last month may or may not be relevant to what I need to know going forward. And so just like uh, the two ladies before to say, who am I going to serve? How do I need to behave and act and live to gather the right people and, and pr- bring the best of myself Uh, to be successful going forward. Very well put. Thank you very much. Love the quotes, ladies. Now let's get to know you all a little bit better, a little bit more personally, and then we're going to take a break after that. So, Kristen Chichek, love to know where you are calling in from today, and what's your favorite beverage that makes you smile or makes you happy or just makes you relax? What is it? Kristen, talk to me. I am in Ann Arbor, Michigan, one of my favorite towns um, that I've lived in for a long time. Um, and it's not in my cup now, but it will be probably later tonight, is um, it's a drink that um, I went to one of those rubber chicken dinners, and you go to the bar, and you're like, <laughs> you know, I need something different. Like, I don't want just another glass of white wine. And the bartender, an older woman, said, you need some TLC. I'd had a hard day. You need some TLC. And she made me a TLC, tequila, lime, and cranberry. It's the perfect drink at those events because it looks girly and pink and, you know, fruit juicy and thing, but tequila packs a punch and makes you really relax. So that's my favorite drink. It really does. Actually, tequila makes me fall down. It just goes right to my knees and I'm out cold. So that's that's relaxing and, and t- taking a load off, as they say. That's funny. My engineer, Aaron, is putting a big laughing smiley face in the, the Skype chat window here. That you, you warned me you had a very interesting drink to talk about, Kristen, and you certainly delivered. So thank you. I'm glad you're in Ann Arbor. Let's go to Ellen Sasson. Where are you today, Ellen? 
I am in Troy, Michigan, and the significance of Troy, Michigan, is that it was the home of Delphi Automotive, which has now split into two companies, one called Aptiv, which is a software company, and another called Delphi Technologies, which is powertrain. But I live in Troy, and this is very much an auto town, too. Um, and you want to know what I'm drinking? Or sure do. Ask me that. Okay. I have discovered, similar to Kristen, something new. It's called White Claw Heart Seltzer. And it comes in cans. They look like uh, soda or beer cans. But it's seltzer with 5% alcohol and flavored black cherry, lime, raspberry. And I pour it over a ton of ice in like a wine glass. And it's the most refreshing drink. Not a lot of alcohol, but somehow it still makes me feel great. I have it up here. It's whiteclaw.com, Ellen. It's White Claw Hard Seltzer, S-E-L-T-Z-E-R. 5% alcohol, 100 calories, 2 grams of carbs. That's the one. Fascinating. And they actually have a Twitter handle, at White Claw. There you go. You can buy a variety. There you go. And you can uh, buy the variety pack that has black cherry, ruby grapefruit, natural lime, and raspberry. Interesting. And it's gluten-free, too, and a hint of fruit. I like the hint of fruit. Thank you. That's a new one. Both of you certainly uh, rock the what's in, what do you wish you were drinking segment here. Carrie, you, you're going to make it a, a three hat trick here? old school. It's, okay. it's early morning where I am. I am in Vancouver, <laughs> Canada, which is my hometown. I actually live in Atlanta, Georgia, but I am in Vancouver, Canada right now. Uh-huh. And so I am having Red Rose Tea, and their tagline is, Only in Canada, a titty. So I am home, and I am having something that I can only have at home that always reminds me of being here. And so my, my mother is British, and a cup of tea solves everything. So I'm having a cup of tea early morning in Vancouver. Well, that's lovely. And by the way, Red Rose Tea, I'm on the label. I think I used to buy it because my daughter's name is Rose, and I used to save the little tags off the tea bags. I didn't want to throw them away. Red Rose Tea is a beverage company established by Theodore Harding Estabrooks in 1894 in St. John, New Brunswick, Canada. Estabrooks began his career in trade imports and exports and soon moved specifically to the tea trade. The company was founded in 1890, it said. Very interesting in Toronto. And the owners are now T-Can, T-E-K-A-N-N-E, in the U.S. and Unilever in Canada. It's a privately held company. Well, thank you, ladies. You certainly rock that one. I'm just not allowed to have caffeine on radio show days. Carrie's heard that before, and so is Ellen, but it's probably news, but not a shock to Kristen. So all I'm allowed to have is water, cool, clear water. I've got a, my cool, clear mug I brought with me from New York when I moved here to Durham, North Carolina, and I actually saved one plastic straw because I've switched to paper straws, and I will tell you they're very hard to get used to. They don't taste right, and they kind of crumble sometimes. So I'm, I save one plastic straw. I'm not going to gunk up the oceans with one plastic straw. I'm holding on to it and making it permanent. There you go. So I'm still environmentally astute. Uh, we, If you're just tuning in, we have a very interesting topic, automotive shifting, pun intended, driving the search for new talent and organizational culture. We're talking to Kristen Chichek at CAR, C-A-R, Ellen Sasson at SAP, and Carrie Brown at SAP. And we're talking about how will Detroit and any other automotive hub 
keep ability, the ability or gain the ability or retain the ability to compete for talent. Where are the new bright young or maybe not so young, the innovative minds, the new approaches to engineering, to design? Where are they and how will automotive be able to win the talent war, at least enough to stay viable and stay driving? So we're going to take a quick break here. It's, oh, we're good. We're only 25 after. That's great. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will go diving headfirst or, or shall we say, we won't go off the cliff. We'll just drive headlong into the main part of our roundtable. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial, however you're listening to us. We're so happy you're here with us. We'll be right back. Aaron out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. SAP is excited to be a co-innovator with the automotive industry as we help automotive and related companies digitally transform their entire industry and disrupt their existing business models. The Future of Cars with Game Changers brings you insights from the people in the driver's seat who are making this happen. We'll delve into industry challenges and solutions that support ecosystem industries, all to help you succeed in transforming your business and business networks for success in the new digital networked age. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top technology and business strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how the automotive industry is shaping the future of change for all of us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Future of Cars with Game Changers. Yes, indeed. And the future of cars is dependent on talent in the automotive industry. But with the merging of industry lines, the blending, the crossing of lines between Silicon Valley and Detroit, and we're using Detroit as as the icon for automotive everything, and Silicon Valley as representational of new talent in, in technology, how will automotive compete? My special guests today are Kristen Gicek. She's the Vice President of Industry, Labor, and Economics at CAR, CAR, the Center for Automotive Research, Carrie Brown, and Ellen Sasson, both at SAP. So here's what Kristen told me before the show, and here's where we're going to start the roundtable. She says, I remember reading about a global survey of new college graduates than the ranking of most preferred industries to least preferred. In the U.S., the auto industry was second from the bottom right above real estate. And I'm not going to go on with any more details here. I want to hear them from you. Kristen, please start us off. Well, you know, um, when I grew up, I grew up in Flint, Michigan, um, home of General Motors. And at the time, you know, it was just about the time when the industry started to get um, more competitive and, uh, you know, the uh, Japanese imports were taking over market share. But the people who graduated high school before me, you worked for General Motors. That was what you did. It was the big game in town. I don't know that it was aspirational, um, Mm -hmm. but as I said earlier, you know, it was a solid job. It paid well, had good benefits, and you, you know, could work your whole career there and and, uh, do very well for yourself. So, 
um, when you asked me like how long of, or why am I in the auto industry, I'm like, I was born in Flint. I had no choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, people um, around the world do have choices. And, you know, this was, uh, this was pretty shocking to me that, you know, new college graduates thought so low of the auto industry that it was, you know, right above real estate. And there was a similar survey done in general in Germany um, that ranked companies rather than industries. And I, if the companies ranked, BMW, Daimler, da- Bosch, um, Conti were all near the top of the list for German undergraduates. And like, why is it that Americans don't see these companies or this industry as being aspirational or a place they want to be? Um, so I dug into it a little bit further. I'm a researcher, so I read more stuff. Um, and there's a group um, called Inforum um, that's a group of um, women executives in, mm-hmm. in industry, and they've got a, a focus on the auto industry. And, and they looked at what women in engineering are looking for in their first career. And they say, you know, they want to look at using the latest technology. They don't want to get stuck in a technology backwater. They want to be changing big societal problems, solving, you know, changing the world and solving big problems. And like, well, these things don't match up. Like if you're, if what you want to do is work with the latest technology and solve really big problems, why is the auto industry not an aspirational place to be? Because we've got big problems and all of the latest technologies that we're working with. So, you know, it's a real disconnect that I think um, is something that, you know, Detroit has struggled with for a long time, um, is how to convey uh, all the opportunity that exists here and, um, and to improve the image of not just Detroit and the auto industry, but the companies individually and the brand of working in auto. And I think it's really changed a lot as the merger between Silicon Valley and Detroit has, has evolved. Um, you know, the people are seeing that, you know, I'm in a little industrial park where one of the, one of our other tenants is, um, testing automated shuttles and, you know, they've got, when they post a job, hundreds of applicants and like, it's a little shuttle that might go around a a closed, um, you know, uh, track. It, It doesn't, it doesn't seem exciting to me. Um, the, the product itself, but the technology embedded in it is. And that, I think, is where we really can, can hook some folks into this industry and into the combined industries of Detroit and Silicon Valley. Thank you. Very, very interesting. Ellen, why don't you chime in on this? Thoughts about best places to work, which is part of my opening today. Uh, what's, what is happening now? Ellen? I was just going to say... Um, just coming off of what Kristen said about in Germany, the German automakers are at the top of the, were at the top of the list in terms of employment. It's, manufacturing is a hard business. You can't, you know, you have to be there. You can't be running errands and your child has a doctor's appointment. I'm just thinking it from a woman's point of view, which is the only point of view I know. It's not as flexible as other careers for women who, you know, have obligations with children. And I hate to be sexist, but Traditionally, it was the women running the errands with the kids and getting them to school and all that. And I think manufacturing, by its very nature, and it's gotten more automated, more digital, more controlled, it was a very difficult industry to pop in and out of, you know, during the day the way you can as a salesperson, as an attorney, you know, other careers. So I I feel like that's what turned people off. It was very rigid manufacturing. It still has to be, actually. It has to be. Interesting. So that's just Interesting. One aspect we, of the business too, right? Yeah. I mean, 
We could also, not the topic for today, we could also talk about the influx of, of AI, machine learning, robots into the workforce. I'm sure Carrie has something to say about this. Is this relieving some of that rigidity in, in manufacturing, specifically auto? Carrie, join us. Thoughts about what we're talking about, aspirational places to work, what's what's happening with new graduates, this new fresh, fresh young, quote-unquote, talent. I have to stop saying the word young. New talent uh, for automotive. What's your thought? I think it's very similar to where the tech industry was, at least for us, a few years ago. And if you look at SAP, and we were the traditional company, if you will, in the marketplace and competing for talent against Google and other, you know, sexier brands at the time was something we had to focus on. And, and so our organization has done a lot to uh, grow diversity, to bring in different talent and to look at flexibility and fluidity around roles. And that really, I think, has for, for employees who've been there a while, for me, I've seen the organization grow and shift and change the dynamic of who's there. But I think similarly to the, the auto industry or other manufacturing industries, which have which seem not necessarily as new and sexy and different, where the younger generation of employees coming in, some of the priorities certainly that you look at in research, are they want to be able to learn and they want to be able to grow. And so in particular, if you look at technology, you know, the desire to be able to develop and grow and stay current, just like as Kristen mentioned for those engineers, how do I bring my best current skills and continue to grow and evolve them is something that anybody who's bringing that kind of design nature to their role is, is focused on. And so I see a really quite a parallel of how do you make sure that you're the brand of choice to work for, as Christmas pointing out in Germany, for the auto industry, because people perhaps saw those auto brands as being further forward-leaning. And for us, I'd say we've, we've really turned a corner to where our brand is much more desirable to be a part of than perhaps it was 10 years ago, where it was more traditional. And there's a, a pull now rather than a... Uh, an, just you know, us reaching out, there's a lot of push coming from folks outside the organization wanting in. Interesting. Thank you very much. Good go-around there. Kristen, anything you want to say to Ellen or Carrie about their comments on your topic before I move on? Well, no, I think those were both very insightful um, comments, and I, you know, I hadn't thought about SAP as sort of being the old guard in Silicon Valley, but, you know, um, one of the uh, things that uh, we've we've heard from auto companies is you know there were young folks who wanted to get into a company and you know retire by the time they were forty <laughs> and you know take when the IPO broke they would you know make their billions and or their millions and leave and that's a a very different thing from a you know established company that's not going to give you that um, those stock options early on and and you know you work like a dog for. Uh, 10 years or so, and then you can, you know, make your bank and leave. So that's a real challenge, I think, for established companies that don't have that risk-reward to offer young people who like that. But um, when (laughs) I think that people really value flexibility, um, Mm -hmm. being happy in their job, being paid well, having some security, um, especially as they get into, you know, 30s and 40s. So, um, it's not all about make the bu- make the buck and and leave the industry early. So you know, people who are looking for a long career, um, then you can look to more established companies for that. Interesting. When you say looking for a long career, I'm I'm thinking 
people who t- take a job at a certain point early in their careers don't think that maybe 10 or 20 years later they might be at a cocktail party or a conference and somebody will say, well, what did you do and what was your career path? And they might get to share some really cool stories about how they were part of something, right? Part of something, part of this new wave in automotive, part of this experimental mobility, part of the change, the shift in driving habits and in, in, in the, the model of how we own or don't own cars. But I'm waxing philosophical here. I'm just thinking that people say to you, what did you do? Or what do you do? Or where do you work? Or or why do you love what you do? And, and it becomes part of the Lord. Do you think so, Kristen? Do you agree with me on that? I do. I think... Um you know, and there's certainly so many aspects of this business changing right now and, you know, opportunities for um, for people to be a part of that. You know, do we own cars or do we only use cars? Um, yes. And, you know, do they, um, you know, what do they do for us that we've been used to doing on our own? Um, so there's there's just so many cool things. Like, you know, I grew up in Flint. And one of my friend's dads had a patent for something that's on every car now and has been ever since you know, we were in elementary school. So, like, this is a cool book. I read the patent for um, it was an aspect of cruise control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like, and that's, you know, if you don't have cruise control, you can't get to automated driving. And, like... No, I know. I can't imagine what he said at cocktail parties, but like, he got to something really cool. I don't know why I brought that up. It just, just seemed relevant. I'm in a 55-plus community here in Durham, and, and something you say to people is, what if it's not what do you do, is what did you used to do? And the stories are really, really amazing. Eleanor, Carrie, you want to chime in on this before I move on to something in Ellen's notes? Anything about uh, that sense of storytelling and lore and being part of something? Ellen, Carrie? Um, I, I have something to say. I just, I, I, as I've been studying the industry for the last 18 months, and, and as someone who came out of software, it, you know, the plant and the manufacturing and the engineering and the finance and the procurement all were focuses, you know, for these large software companies. And the shift now is more around those final touch points with the customer in the dealership. And I'll just say, and I've changed my thinking on this, but I used to look at the dealership as, like, not that relevant, right? That the real heart of the business was before you even got to the dealership. I have changed my thinking. I think that those jobs in the dealership and the running of the dealership and the deal, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's the point of truth now. That's right. I, I think there's a lot more focus on that, both the employee experience in the dealership because those salespeople are determining the success of the brand ultimately. And if you have mm-hmm. unhappy salespeople, you will not sell cars. So I, I, I'm just saying that for me, my focus has changed to that dealership experience. And I, I, I give a lot of credit to people who've been in the dealership, you know, the Penske's and the Auto Nations and the Cox Auto. That, that is a really important part of this business too. So More than people would think. Yeah. Yes. Very interesting. Carrie, thoughts on this? Good, good around the fascinated table here. By, fascinated by Ellen's ad. I actually was listening to a radio show this morning that Claude Silver, who is the chief heart officer for VaynerMedia, did actually around the dealerships, and it was about hospitality. So it actually goes back to Chris and Ellen's quotes in terms of service and the experience that people are having. And the discussion was really just like the hospitality industry, what is it that you experience as a guest that same sentiment was really speaking to dealers in, in the car industry of how do you bring that hospitality. So 
I just think there's the, the sentiment of the experience and what we're looking at. You know, as you think about where cars are going, what is the life experience we're going to have with cars and how will that change? Mm-hmm. And I think that's really an exciting place that this industry is going, that people get to be a part of shaping our future much more than just shaping where things were or the, or maintaining the status quo. They're really shaping the way we're going to live and change. Very interesting. That's that's a new take on working in automotive. I think we've been focusing on design and innovation and engineering, but but you're right. The the concept of you're going to eventually be talking to a person unless you buy your cars online. I I only drive a certain type of sports car. I've only veered from it once in many many years. It's a, a Z, and I'm driving a 370 2015 now that I got with 19,000 miles on. It's a gorgeous car. But I said to the I found it online, and I called the dealership 20 minutes away, and I said I'm coming in to buy that car, don't sell it to anybody else. And I was there an hour later, made the deal. Uh, young salesman, very eager, saw me. He knew I was going to pay cash after the trade-in of my, my older Z. And, and I looked him in the eye and I said to him, when I come back to pick up the car tomorrow, I want a big red bow on the hood of the car, <laughs> just like in the TV ads. And he looked at me and said, seriously? I said, that's the deal maker or the deal breaker. I'm coming with a check tomorrow. My car is all cleaned up, ready to go for trade-in. I said, but I want the red bow. He called me. I was on the way there to pick up the car, and my, my phone rang. And, and he said, Bonnie, this is James. I said, what? He said, are you on the way? I said, yes. He said, I have a surprise for you. Well, he rummaged through the Christmas decorations at the dealership. And he found this ginormous red bow, and he had it on top of the car when I pulled into the lot. Carrie, what do you think of that? I think he just made your day, so you will he, always go back to him. That experience abs- absolutely a loyal buyer for life. Absolutely, Apex Motors somewhere here in North Carolina. It was it was a wonderful experience. Thank you. Good good go around the table there, Ellen. I'm looking at your notes. We talked about some of it already, but I, I want to talk about the first comment you sent me. You say the experimental nature of any company today, particularly mobility and automotive, is an awesome opportunity for newcomers and old comers. You're going to have to define that one. To, to get excited about what we get to do in automotive. So we're talking about this competition for talent, and you're saying it's the excitement of the industry, the experimental nature. Ellen, can you tell us a little more, and then we'll get Carrie and Kristen to jump in on this, please? So software has made you know everything agile. You can try and the software in the cloud and, and analytics. It's fast now. You can test things out. You can see what it's like. You could simulate. You could, I mean, simulation engineering has been around for a while, but you could... You could play with things and see, well, how would this work? If I change this variable, how would this change another variable or another outcome? And so that very mindset of agile software development, which very much comes from the Silicon Valley, I think has pervaded the whole industry from manufacturing, procurement, you know, dealership experience, whatever it is. There's a way to experiment and see, are we doing this the best way possible? What if we move this? machine to this part of the plant? What if we changed our fleet strategy this way? And the beauty of software, the whole idea of a digital twin is play with it in software. And they absolutely do this in medicine where it's even like the stakes are even higher, right? Before surgery, you do it digitally Mm -hmm. to see what's going to happen. So I I think that that opportunity for experimentation, for creativity, Carrie talked about in the beginning, you know, curiosity is the key. That's what propels people into any of these jobs. Like, find something that excites you that you want to make better. 
And the software is going to let you do that, let you play. You've got to have the right corporate culture, too, which I know Carrie can mm-hmm. talk about, to, to let it happen. But, but that's the opportunity right now, the creativity. Super exciting. Very, very exciting. Exciting is the word. I, I think that's been a thread running through what we're talking about. Carrie, agree or disagree? You want to expand what Ellen said, and then we'll go around to Kristen. Go ahead, Carrie. Totally, totally agree. And I, I think the excitement is also what is it that you bring that is the your your own spark to that conversation. And and so you know, there's lots of um, if you think about how you you mentioned AI and robotics and so forth. And there's lots of statistics on you know, how the world's going to change, what jobs are going to go away, and what the risks are related to that. And yet, there's so many new jobs that are coming. And I think the same thing when we think about the auto industry, there's a lot that can be said around what's what's going to, what are we going to lose, but there's so much of a conversation about what are we going to gain. And and I think it's that, that lens and that view of curiosity and of opportunity that, that really starts to shape the dialogue in a way that is one of excitement and possibility versus loss and, and change. So, you know, that's, that's really something I see in that agile nature is how do you bring that agility and fluidity um, into something that becomes really like, you know, where are the Jetsons going and what will our lives look like and how will transportation change the way we live and function like phones have done? You know, phones yes. aren't a phone anymore. They're a life device. So how will, how will we really change the way we live and get transported? I think this industry has a massive impact on that. Fascinating. I love when you brought up the Jetsons, bringing, bringing back cartoon memories. And what did they know about who we were going to be and what we were going to be doing before we realized that we thought it was fun and cute? Uh-huh. Okay, welcome to our new world. Kristen, join us. Thoughts about the excitement, the experimentation in the industry. Where are we going with all this? Well, I think I do agree. I mean, the experimental nature is pretty, um, it is very exciting. Um, you know, we've learned a lot of, that um, optimizing and, you know, Kaizen uh, stuff from Japan. Um, As the Japanese uh, came to this market um, and the U.S. auto industry started to lose market share, they started figuring out how how can we learn from our competition and what are they doing. Now, some of that happened through these joint venture companies that all three Detroit automakers had with a Japanese company to learn how they were optimizing, how they were... um, improving manufacturing and getting line-level folks involved in um, th- in decisions about their job. And, you know, if something is really frustrating to you or, you know, boy, I, can, I do this thing every day and I know if we did it differently, um, it would be better. And, you know, they had, like, you know, uh, suggestion programs, but that, that was not as systematic and as, um, embracing of change as they as it became when when the Japanese uh, philosophy invaded Detroit, and I think that leads to this um, agile software environment uh, that Ellen's talking about and the ability to to play in software. Um, one other thing I want to say is you know mm-hmm. folks are are getting dipl- displaced. Um, in some ways, and I was in a manufacturing plant recently where two folks who had been um, doing jobs out in the plant had been, and but they were recognized as have as being really good problem solvers. And this company was experimenting. They they bought a big format 3D printer, and they said, "We don't know exactly how we want to use this, but you're a good designer and." You're a good problem solver. I want you guys to sit in this lab with this 3D printer and figure out 
how we could use it. <laughs> and they were using it um, you know, to make jigs and fixtures, to make replacement parts for the machinery that they could make, you know, today versus having to order it or, you know, and, you know, that is sort of, you know, this new technology is coming in. It's not quite ready for, you know, going out on the floor, but what are we going to do with it? And, you know, taking people off the floor who are good at problem solving um, and probably problem solving because they've been involved in Kaizen events for almost of their career. Um, how can we optimize this technology in this environment? Thank you very much. Good conversation around the table. We have just a couple minutes before the prediction round. Carrie, Carrie Brown, you mentioned in your notes to me, you say, as we take the work out of the work, human skills are those that differentiate and highlight our personal superpowers. I love the way you toss in the term superpowers there. And then you, you sent me some notes about somebody named Patrick Schwerd. Beggar, four new trends in AI impacting 8% of the workforce or 12 million, work, million workers, facial recognition, national natural language processing, if I could only speak, auto checkout and autonomous driving. You want to, in the few minutes we have before predictions, you want to pick one of those and how it's impacting automotive, Carrie? I'll, I'll, I'll pick autonomous driving because it's a super obvious one, but I'm going to jump yep. back to the superpower concept. It goes exactly yeah, where Christian was at. Is there is absolutely going to be a shift in displacement of people. That is, that's a, a truth. And so if you think about how AI and machine learning and robotics, which have many pieces of which have been part of the automotive industry for a very, very long time, and increasingly so in different places, exactly the story that Kristen told of what are the superpowers. So problem solving is a superpower. Now, that is something that the machine alone without that creativity didn't mm-hmm. necessarily bring the improvements and the innovations. And so... Again, if you think back, okay, uh, Patrick has highlighted, you know, what's the percent of people that are going to be impacted by these changes? And at a high level, just these four changes really start to change security, safety, shopping. But, you know, cars, I think it goes back to that experience discussion also that Ellen had. You know, what is it that we as consumers will expect to do in the transportation experience that we're having? What kinds of tasks will we do if we're not actually having to main manage or, or drive the actual vehicle, what will we want to do while we're in it? So when we think about what experience we'll have while being transported from A to B, is it with others others? Is it is it alone? What amenities would we have? It starts to become a very different discussion of just the transportation path itself. You know, autonomous driving for all of the commercial businesses that are impacting the supply chain, you know, how will that shift what we as consumers can get, when we can get it, the fluidity and the speed with which you get it. There's so much flexibility and that creativity back to the superpower concept. How do we bring the human ingenuity and creativity that starts to look at how to pull those possibilities together? You know, I think about the, I talked about a phone earlier, and if you think about where can autonomous driving take us or assisted driving, you know, we never thought about all the things that we do with a smartphone compared mm-hmm. to what we did with just a phone where we dialed numbers. It's now a life device. Same yes. thing when you look at autonomous driving. What are the experiences we can have that will be so different in transportation that have the personalization and the experience opportunities that we haven't had in the past because you used to have to actually have your hands on the wheel and drive. Mm-hmm. And now you can do all sorts of other things instead. Yes. And then, Carrie, there are those of us who still love the human experience of driving and having our hands on the wheel and are probably not going to give up our cars anytime soon. Thank you for that perspective. Uh, and, Carrie, and, do you want to... Co- 
Oh, Good. One thing on that, I said, I'm, I'm that person too. I drive a sports car with a stick shift, and I search for a stick shift across the country for the car I wanted. I bet you and did. I, I bet you did. Carrie, yep. Is Go driving's going to be that thing that we want to do as a special treat as well? Yes. Yes. It, st- it still is for me. Thank you. It's always an event. Christian Gtech at Car. Time for your prediction. Sixty seconds. What do you see coming? I hate to say it. Up the road, down the pike, whatever direction you're driving. What's coming up between five minutes from now and 2025 in terms of the search for new talent and organizational culture to keep automotive thriving? Kristen, you're up. Well, I've just had a really great conversation with a bunch of women about the auto industry. And what I think might be coming is that we may have more than one woman leading an automaker uh, within the next five or so years. So Ah. maybe we don't have somebody more than just Mary Barra. (laughs) Well, that would be interesting. The question is, why not? Absolutely, why not? Thank you. I like that one. Ellen Sasson, you can have um, 90 seconds now because Kristen was so quick. Go ahead. Well, I love what Kristen said, but I also, I've been thinking as Carrie was talking and Kristen was talking, this industry has always been global. I, I say always. As long as I've been in it, we've had you know, Japanese, German, Asian, Korean, everybody, Mexican, so many players in what is. I love the global nature of this industry. I always have. It's been global for at least 30 years with, with many cultures involved in the automotive supply chain. But, but the other thing that I think has happened in the workplace, and this is coming off of what both Kristen and um, Carrie said, both diversity in, at the leadership level and then diversity of thought and creativity in the work and the, what people bring to work. I, I'm going to sound um, Pollyannish, but I do think diversity and inclusion is what is going to make everything better because you can have multiple points of view, multiple, you know, histories, ethnicities, where you come from is what you bring to the table. And that's exciting. So I think we're going to see even more um, diversity and inclusion and creativity. And I just have one final comment. I have a friend who's, she was longtime GM, um, IT leader. She's now CIO of a Chinese owned auto supplier She's based hmm. in Detroit, CEOs in Germany, procurements in China. I mean, that is the world we're living in, and that changes yeah. everything, this global nature of our business. So that's my final comment. Thank, Thank you, you very Thank you very much. We're going to have to continue this conversation. Carrie Brown, I have got 60 seconds with your name on them. Talk to me. Prediction, please. I think it's a mix of all of what we said now. So how do you get the diversity of employee base so that the – brand can bring to the marketplace the amenities and the experience that the auto manufacturers are going to thrive in. So if you only have one type of person building the design for everybody else, then they're only going to design for themselves. So that diversity is going to allow for what is it that you want in transportation and that that, that t- talent opportunity and the ability to influence the way we live and function, I think is what's going to be exciting to the the female engineer who wants to change the female experience in transportation versus somebody who might have been there before them. 
I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you very much, the three of you. I hope this was as good a conversation for our listeners as it was clearly for my panelists. So I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This has been another live edition of Changing the Game, the future of cars. And it certainly is part of our future. So I want to do a shout out to Miranda Labate at SAP for putting together another spectacular topic. And panel, Miranda, you're really doing great on managing these radio shows. We appreciate it. And shout out also to Judy Cubis, the official sponsor of this series and thank you to Aaron Keller our engineer extraordinaire tells me I have 30 seconds to wrap this up so here's my call to action you know what it is already fasten your seatbelt how appropriate what are you waiting for go out and be a game changer today just like Christian Gicek at CAR just like Ellen Sesson at SAP just like Carrie Brown at SAP I'm Bonnie D. Graham have a great day drive safe y'all here bye bye Thanks again for tuning in to the Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.